Part two of Chapter eight of the Exploits of Brigadier Gerard by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Colonel Despienne had quarters at the sign of the Pheasant, and it was there that we supped together. We were all three men who had been trained to take the strangest turns of fortune as part of our daily life and business, yet we were all flushed and moved by the extraordinary interview which we had had, and by the thought of the great adventure which lay before us. For my own part, it had been my fate three several times to take my orders from the lips of the Emperor himself, but neither the incident of the Ajaccio murderers nor the famous ride which I made to Paris appeared to offer such opportunities as this new and most intimate commission. "'If things go right with the Emperor,' said Despien, "'we shall all live to be marshals yet.' We drank with him to our future cocked hats and our batons. It was agreed between us that we should make our way separately to our rendezvous, which was to be the first milestone upon the Paris road. In this way we should avoid the gossip which might get about if three men who were so well known were to be seen riding out together. My little Violette had cast a shoe that morning, and the farrier was at work upon her when I returned, so that my comrades were already there when I arrived at the trysting place. I had taken with me not only my sabre, but also my new pair of English rifled pistols, with a mallet for knocking in the charges. They had cost me a hundred and fifty francs at Trouvel's in the Rue de Rivoli, but they would carry far further and straighter than the others. It was with one of them that I had saved old Bouvet's life at Leipzig. The night was cloudless, and there was a brilliant moon behind us, so that we always had three black horsemen riding down the white road in front of us. The country is so thickly wooded, however, that we could not see very far. The great palace clock had already struck ten, but there was no sign of the countess. We began to fear that something might have prevented her from starting and then suddenly we heard her in the distance. Very faint at first were the burr of the wheels and the tat-tat-tat of the horse's feet. Then they grew louder and clearer and louder yet, until a pair of yellow lanterns swung round the curve, and in their light we saw the two big brown horses tearing along the high blue carriage at the back of them. The postillion pulled them up, panting and foaming within a few yards of us. In a moment we were at the window and had raised our hands in a salute to the beautiful pale face which looked out at us. "'We are the three officers of the Emperor, madame,' said I, in a low voice, leaning my face down to the open window. "'You have already been warned that we should wait upon you.' The Countess had a very beautiful cream-tinted complexion, of a sort which I particularly admire, but she grew whiter and whiter as she looked up at me. Harsh lines deepened upon her face until she seemed, even as I looked at her, to turn from youth into age. "'It is evident to me,' she said, "'that you are three impostors. "'If she had struck me across the face with her delicate hand, "'she could not have startled me more. "'It was not her words only, but the bitterness with which she hissed them out. "'Indeed, madame,' said I, "'you do us less than justice.' These are the Colonel Despienne and Captain Tremeau. For myself, my name is Brigadier Gerard, and I have only to mention it to assure anyone who has heard of me that— Oh, you villains! 
she interrupted. "'You think that because I am only a woman I am very easily to be hoodwinked, you miserable impostors. I looked at Despienne, who had turned white with anger, and at Tremeau, who was tugging at his moustache. "'Madame,' said I coldly, "'when the Emperor did us the honour to entrust us with his mission, he gave me this amethyst ring as a token.' I had not thought that three honourable gentlemen would have needed such corroboration, but I can only confute your unworthy suspicions by placing it in your hands. She held it up in the light of the carriage lamp, and the most dreadful expression of grief and of horror contorted her face. It is his, she screamed, and then, oh my God, what have I done? What have I done? I felt that something terrible had befallen. "'Quick, madame, quick!' I cried. "'Give us the papers!' "'I have already given them.' "'Given them? To whom?' "'To three officers.' "'When?' "'Within the half-hour. "'Where are they?' "'God help me, I do not know. "'They stopped the berline, and I handed them over to them without hesitation, "'thinking that they had come from the Emperor.' "'It was a thunderclap.' "'but those are the moments when I am at my finest. "'You remain here,' said I to my comrades. "'If three horsemen pass you, stop them at any hazard. "'The lady will describe them to you. "'I will be with you presently.' "'One shake of the bridle, and I was flying into Fontainebleau, "'as only Violette could have carried me. "'At the palace I flung myself off, rushed up the stairs, "'brushed aside the lackeys who would have stopped me, "'and pushed my way into the Emperor's own cabinet.' He and MacDonald were busy with pencil and compasses over a chart. He looked up with an angry frown at my sudden entry, but his face changed colour when he saw that it was I. "'You can leave us, Marshal,' said he, and then, the instant the door was closed, what news about the papers? "'They are gone,' said I, and in a few curt words I told him what had happened. His face was calm, but I saw the compasses quiver in his hand. "'You must recover them, Gerard,' he cried. "'The destinies of my dynasty are at stake. "'Not a moment is to be lost. "'To horse, sir, to horse.' "'Who are they, sire?' "'I cannot tell. "'I am surrounded with treason. "'But they will take them to Paris. "'To whom should they carry them "'but to the villain Talleyrand?' "'Yes, yes, they are on the Paris road "'and may yet be overtaken, "'with the three best mounts in my stables and—' I did not wait to hear the end of the sentence. I was already clattering down the stairs. I am sure that five minutes had not passed before I was galloping Violette out of the town with the bridle of one of the Emperor's own Arab chargers in either hand. They wished me to take three, but I should have never dared to look my Violette in the face again. I feel that the spectacle must have been superb when I dashed up to my comrades and pulled the horses onto their haunches in the moonlight. No one has passed? no one. Then they are on the Paris road. Quick, up and after them. They did not take long, those good soldiers. In a flash they were upon the Emperor's horses, and their own left masterless by the roadside. Then away we went upon our long chase, I in the centre, Despienne upon my right, and Tremeau a little behind, for he was the heavier man. Heavens, how we galloped! The twelve flying hoofs roared and roared along the hard, smooth road. Poplars and moon, black bars and silver streaks, for mile after mile our course lay along the same chequered track, with our shadows in front and our dust behind. 
we could hear the rasping of bolts and the creaking of shutters from the cottages as we thundered past them but we were only three dark blurs upon the road by the time that the folk could look after us it was just striking midnight as we raced into corbeil but an hostler with a bucket in either hand was throwing his black shadow across the golden fan which was cast from the open door of the inn three riders i gasped have they passed i have just been watering their horses said he i should think they on on my friends and away we flew striking fire from the cobblestones of the little town a gendarme tried to stop us but his voice was drowned by our rattle and clatter the houses slid past and we were out on the country road again with a clear twenty miles between ourselves and paris how could they escape us with the finest horses in france behind them not one of the three had turned a hair but violette was always a head and shoulders to the front she was going within herself too and i knew by the spring of her that i had only to let her stretch herself and the emperor's horses would see the colour of her tail there they are cried despienne we have them growled tremoux on comrades on i shouted once more a long stretch of white road lay before us in the moonlight far away down it we could see three cavaliers lying low upon their horses necks every instant they grew larger and clearer as we gained upon them i could see quite plainly that the two upon either side were wrapped in mantles and rode upon chestnut horses whilst the man between them was dressed in a chasseur uniform and mounted upon a grey they were keeping abreast but it was easy enough to see from the way in which he gathered his legs for each spring that the centre horse was far the fresher of the three and the rider appeared to be the leader of the party for we continually saw the glint of his face in the moonshine as he looked back to measure the distance between us at first it was only a glimmer then it was cut across with a moustache and at last when we began to feel their dust in our throats i could give a name to my man halt colonel de montluc i shouted halt in the emperor's name i had known him for years as a daring officer and an unprincipled rascal indeed there was a score between us for he had shot my friend treville at warsaw pulling his trigger as some said a good second before the drop of the handkerchief well the words were hardly out of my mouth when his two comrades wheeled around and fired their pistols at us i heard despienne give a terrible cry and at the same instant both tremeau and i let drive at the same man he fell forward with his hands swinging on each side of his horse's neck his comrades spurred on to tremoux sabre in hand and i heard the crash which comes when a strong cut is met by a stronger parry for my own part i never turned my head but i touched violette with the spur for the first time and flew after the leader that he should leave his comrades and fly was proof enough that i should leave mine and follow he had gained a couple of hundred paces but the good little mare set that right before we could have passed two milestones it was in vain that he spurred and thrashed like a gunner-driver on a soft road his hat flew off with his exertions and his bold head gleamed in the moonshine but do what he might he still heard the rattle of the hoofs growing louder and louder behind him i could not have been twenty yards from him and the shadow-head was touching the shadow haunch when he turned with a curse in his saddle and emptied both his pistols one after the other into violette i have been wounded myself so often that i have to stop and think before i can tell you the exact number of times 
I have been hit by musket balls, by pistol bullets, and by bursting shells, besides being pierced by bayonet, lance, sabre, and finally by a braddle, which was the most painful of any. Yet out of all these injuries I have never known the same deadly sickness as came over me when I felt the poor, silent, patient creature, which I had come to love more than anything in the world, except my mother and the emperor, reel and stagger beneath me. I pulled my second pistol from my holster and fired point-blank between the fellow's broad shoulders. He slashed his horse across the flank with his whip, and for a moment I thought that I had missed him, but then on the green of his chasseur jacket I saw an ever-widening black smudge, and he began to sway in his saddle, very slightly at first, but more and more with every bound, until at last over he went, with his foot caught in the stirrup and his shoulders thud-thud-thudding along the ground, until the drag was too much for the tired horse, and I closed my hand upon the foam-spattered bridle-chain. As I pulled him up it eased the stirrup-leather, and the spurred heel clinked loudly as it fell. "'Your papers!' I cried, springing from my saddle. "'This instant!' But even as I said it, the huddle of the green body and the fantastic sprawl of the limbs in the moonlight told me clearly enough that it was all over with him. My bullet had passed through his heart, and it was only his own iron will which had held him so long in the saddle. He had lived hard, this Montluc, and I will do him justice to say that he died hard also. But it was the papers, always the papers, of which I thought. I opened his tunic and I felt in his shirt. Then I searched his holsters and his sabre-tash. Finally I dragged off his boots and undid his horse's girth, so as to hunt under the saddle. There was not a nook or crevice which I did not ransack. It was useless. They were not upon him. When this stunning blow came upon me, I could have sat down by the roadside and wept. Fate seemed to be fighting against me, and that is an enemy from whom even a gallant hussar might not be ashamed to flinch. I stood with my arm over the neck of my poor wounded Violette, and I tried to think it all out, that I might act in the wisest way. I was aware that the Emperor had no great respect for my wits, and I longed to show him that he had done me an injustice. Montluc had not the papers, and yet Montluc had sacrificed his companions in order to make his escape. I could make nothing of that. On the other hand, it was clear that, if he had not got them, one or other of his comrades had. One of them was certainly dead, the other I had left fighting with Tremeau, and if he escaped from the old swordsman he had still to pass me. Clearly my work lay behind me. I hammered fresh charges into my pistols after I had turned this over in my head. Then I put them back in the holsters, and I examined my little mare, she jerking her head and cocking her ears the while, as if to tell me that an old soldier like herself did not make a fuss about a scratch or two. The first shot had merely grazed her off-shoulder, leaving a skin-mark, as if she had brushed a wall. The second was more serious. It had passed through the muscle of her neck, but already it had ceased to bleed. I reflected that if she weakened, I could mount Mount Luke's grey, and meanwhile I led him along beside us, for he was a fine horse, worth fifteen hundred francs at the least, and it seemed to me that no one had a better right to him than I. Well, I was all impatience now to get back to the others, and I had just given Violette her head when suddenly I saw something glimmering in a field by the roadside. It was the brasswork upon the chasseur hat which had flown from Montluc's head, 
and at the sight of it a thought made me jump in the saddle. How could the hat have flown off? With its weight, would it not have simply dropped? And here it lay, fifteen paces from the roadway. Of course, he must have thrown it off when he had made sure that I would overtake him, and if he threw it off, I did not stop to reason any more, but sprang from the mare with my heart beating the pas de charge. Yes, it was all right this time. There in the crown of the hat was stuffed a roll of papers in a parchment wrapper bound round with yellow ribbon. I pulled it out with the one hand, and holding the hat in the other, I danced for joy in the moonlight. The emperor would see that he had not made a mistake when he put his affairs into the charge of Etienne Gerard. End of part two of chapter eight.